0: Well, the many songs that are sung this time of year and this year only, but the time of year only, are Joy to the World, Silent Night, Oh Come All Ye Faithful, a lot of these different ones, and all of them are really good. Uh, I would say my favorite one has got to be God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, f- written five centuries ago, and nobody knows who wrote it. We, we, we can't figure out who, who actually wrote it. That is funny. Well, who who wrote it then? I don't even have Siri on this thing. I don't know what. Whatever. (laughs) You know, I I wonder why I have this, and and I have it on silent, you know? Or, Or, yeah, silent mode, but that obviously doesn't help. So. But well, this morning, I thought maybe I would sing a few you know, stanzas of, of this, kind of, you know, God rest you merry gentlemen, but then my senses came to me, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to let my, my favorite rendition of this, which comes from an uh, American a cappella group out of Arlington, Texas, called the Pentatonics. and uh, I want to show you just a clip of their version of it. That's a teaser. You go to YouTube and it really ramps up from there uh, uh, to really get going. But the reason I love it so much, I think, is because it's really a short summation of the gospel. You know, it, it talks about the fact that Christ has come and, and we don't long have to be wary because the Christ child has come and, and, and he has saved us. And, and it's not that he, he didn't come just to, you know, make us better people, to make us more moral people. He came to save us. Uh, that, that was the whole purpose of the whole thing. You know what's interesting about it is there's a comma in the title. It's not you know it, it sings so fashion. You know, God rest ye merry gentlemen, but the song isn't about merry gentlemen getting rest. It really is. God rest ye merry, comma gentlemen. In other words, it's a God who's giving merriment and rest to people, and so it's saying, may God give you rest and merriment. All you people, men and women, may God give you rest and merriment. And so in that, then, I think it changes the whole scope of where actually that song does go. And I think the other thing about it is that it really speaks of two emotions that really are, are ones that these days, particularly around Christmas time, are the ones that we hear about the most. Merry and joy. You know, it's, it's interesting with the word merry, we don't use it any other time of the year. Nobody says Merry New Year. Nobody says Merry Valentine's Day. Nobody says Merry Easter, you know, Merry Birthday, Merry Thanksgiving. No, it's just Merry Christmas. And the whole word just means high-spirited. It means that there's an incredible joy that has come based on what we know. So it's Merry Christmas. But it also brings in the fact that there's this word joy, which seems to be this rather elusive word which can so easily escape us these days. Oh tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, O tidings of comfort and joy. And it's a emotion that we want to dive into this morning, and we want to really end on a positive note, because as we've gone through this series, we've talked about the different emotions, and we've said, look, around Christmas time, these are the things that we're going to begin to experience. It could be discouragement, you know it could be stress. It, you know, it could be sadness. All these things are different times that we feel throughout the year. For some reason, around Christmas times, it puts them on steroids, and we seem to feel them at an even deeper level. But the, it's, it's okay to be able to experience those. We don't want to remain in those, but they are there. They're, they're part of, of what it was. We, we've seen it, it's part of the Christmas story. You know, and it's, it's interesting, when it comes to joy then, here's where we want to head this morning. I want to talk about joy defined, exactly what does it mean? Because there's a lot of things I've heard about joy through the years, in my ministry years. I heard it was an acronym for Jesus first, other second, yourself last. I'm like, okay, you know, that's good. I've heard that uh, you can't give your joy away. Someone can try to take it, but you can't give it, they can't take it from you. You have to give it. I don't know if you've heard that. You know, there's different things that come with joy. And I'm like, okay. You know, but there's kind of still this sense of, okay, but Just what do we mean by this? What what is this joy? So I wanted to see if we can't define it. We don't want to see how we see joy uncovered in the Christmas story. And the reason I say uncovered is because there's a part of the Christmas story that we really don't talk much about. It's it's post-Jesus' birth, but it's about 40 days later When they have to take a a trek to Jerusalem that we begin to meet two people there. And and we'll learn about joy in that. And then joy's tension. There's a tension here when it comes to joy. Because it's joy exactly in what? And so just joy defined this morning, when we speak about joy from a scriptural standpoint, the person who speaks a lot of it is obviously the Apostle Paul. And in the book of Philippians, he talks about it again and again, rejoice in the Lord always. And Ben did a great job last week of just kind of taking us through this and the fact that it isn't joy in our circumstances, but it's joy in the Lord in the midst of our circumstances. And I don't know about you, that's not easy. That's not something that our flesh just kind of conjures up. It's not something that our flesh can produce. And so this morning, I just want to unpack that a little bit to kind of find out what do we mean by that. And I came across uh, a definition of joy as I was listening to a podcast by John Piper on, on joy. And I felt like he really nailed this one and it really agrees with Paul. Here's, here, I'll give you the definition and break it down in a minute. Joy is a good feeling in the soul. Produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. Joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. So let's just talk about what do we mean a good feeling in the soul? Well, as opposed to the other emotions that we've talked about, the discouragement, the the stress the sadness which are all flesh produced type of emotions and what's interesting about emotions is we can't control them i mean we can't control the fact that they come to us you and i can be walking throughout our day and we can and we could hear something we could see something and all of a sudden an emotional kick in it could be discouragement it could be sadness it could be disappointment, just at the drop of a hat. We, we could be happy and going along all of a sudden, and something happens. Something We hear something or see something, and bam, it, it just comes out. It's, it, it would be like if you, as an example, say you went hiking in the wilderness, and you, and you came, you, you're hiking on the trail, and, and you came across a grizzly bear. Well, let me actually, let me go to a book that will tell us about that. I, I want to read from you. It's called Mark of the Grizzly, true, true Stories of Bear Attacks in Canada, Montana, and Alaska and the Hard Lessons Learned. It's changed forever the way my my whole desire to go camping. But it's really, they misnamed it. It's really 19 Reasons You Should Not Go Camping. It is what it is. But this guy's name was Bokia, and Bokia was uh, just a, a guy that was a photographer and he was wanting to go take some do some photography in Alaska at Chewgate State Park near Eagle River, Alaska. He'd gone to photograph wildflowers, which is normally a low-adrenaline pursuit. (laughs) Strong sunlight sliced between the trees and a brisk wind blew down across the canyon, and just a few miles down the stream laid the town of Eagle River. You with me? You're not going to want to be. He'd crossed a bunch of beaver dams and was between two branches of the stream, and he glanced to his right, and there about 60 feet away, he saw a brown form through the trees. I thought, oh, it's a moose. There's probably a calf around, so I'd better get out of here. You know, and it's interesting, when it comes to emotions, There's a a, a psychologist tells us that all of us, as we navigate through life, we really use our mind, our will, and our emotions. They call it our thinker, our doer, and our feeler. And, and we navigate through those with this thing, with those three, our thinker, our doer, our feeler, our mind, our will, and our emotions. Those, those three things are, are constantly at play as you and I walk throughout life. So here's this guy. He's just going to get, you know, want to make some, do some photography, just take some pictures in Alaska. And so he sees this brown form, and it's a moose. Now, intellectually, his mind is thinking at this point, you know, there are more moose that kill people than grizzly bears. Okay. More people die from moose than grizzly bears. Interesting. So you're thinking that, and you're thinking, okay, you know, but they don't. They tend to not right attack right away. So, you, so he's trying to just back out. That's what his mind is telling him. His motions, probably what he's feeling. I would think you're feeling your his heart's probably beating a little bit more. It's starting to get going, and he's starting to feel a little bit more. And then, and so, he, and, and which then is his actions. His will is, okay, I got to get out of here. So he turned around and Bokia paused while he considered which direction to take. And then he noticed something kind of going up and down. And he realized it was a bear feeding on something. And his head was going up and down, pe- tearing off pieces of meat. Since the bear showed no sign that a new Boki was in the area, he decided to try to go back out the same way he'd come in. That's when his boot clunked against a tree root, which was all it took to get the bear's full attention. The bear heard the tree root, jumped way up in the air, turned around and landed just like a linebacker. His front legs were really wide apart, trying to make a big profile. I looked at the bear and it looked at me, and a couple seconds later, it charged. Okay, so now we're, we're dealing with your, your mind, your, your will, and your emotions. What do you think his emotions are at this point? I mean, his heart rate is going, right? And, and he's, in his, in his mind, is thinking, okay, I, I, survival, right? Do the best thing you can to survive. And now what is his will? What is everything in him telling him to do? Run. Are you going to outrun a grizzly bear? Not unless you're camping with somebody slower than you. <laughs> Which may be the point. I don't know. You know, you know how fast do you run? Okay, do you want to go camping? You, you know. So... <laughs> <laughs> I, I digress. So he, so here he is, and, and he's in the midst of this, and, and he's saying, what, what is he going to do? Well, at this point, you know, to survival, if he, if he read anything on it, your best form of survival is, is just to be a non-threat. And if it's still charging at you, then you roll up into a ball, you clasp your hands, and you do not look the bear in the eyes, and you clasp your hands, and, you, and you, you have them around your neck because that's your most vital part. And you, so you just roll up in a ball, and the bear may come up, and the bear may just, you know, take a bite. You know, I don't know, <laughs> do it around. But, but your best form of, if you're going to survive this thing, it's to do the very opposite of everything in your body that's telling you to do. Your, your, your best form of survival is to go against the, everything in your body that's screaming to do, run. That's not what's going to save you. That's just going to tell the bear, this is, this is well-worn meat, and now it can come out of even stronger. And so he's, and it, it'll come, and it'll attack. You know, obviously, no, I won't, you know, obviously, he wrote that chapter, so he survived. Uh, but I'll spare you the rest because it, it wasn't that good, okay? I actually was telling that story in Alaska when I spoke at a conference up there and a woman came up to me uh, and she said, have you read the next chapter? And I said, no, I hadn't got to it yet. She goes, that's my brother. And I, and I went and I read it and I'm like, oh my gosh, is he okay? And she goes, no. <laughs> you know, I'm like, hope you have a good marriage. You know, I'm, What do you say? You know, it's just, (laughs) but to a a far lesser degree, as you and I walk throughout life, as we go through life, there are times when, I think with our emotions, and our emotions have been given to us, and, and they are indicators of things, and they're not bad, they can be good, but emotions were always supposed to be managed. They're never supposed to be the driver in our life. Which is interesting, because I think in our culture, we're, we're kind of going to this thing where, where everything is being driven by emotion. If you feel it, do it. You know, and if this is it, then, then this is where are going. But it was never meant to be that way. And, and when we talk about emotions being managed, this is what we talk about when we say Maturity. Or the more mature we become, the more we can manage our emotions. Take for example, a two-year-old. A two-year-old is a classic example of not being able to manage your emotions. I mean, if a, if a two-year-old feels it, what does he do? He does it. Now, we don't think that's a problem. We understand that. Now, if you're an adult and you act that way, then we know there's a problem. Okay? We're lacking maturity so it 's it's a, it's a good feeling in the soul, and what 's interesting here is it 's this feeling that we get, but it 's not produced by necessarily everything going right. that could be happy. This is a deeper thing this is this is a, a joy that comes in the soul despite what 's going on but it 's produced by the holy spirit it 's interesting when it comes to joy it 's not something that you and I can conjure up. It's not like it fits the Nike commercial, just do it. You know, it is one of those things where it is something that the Holy Spirit begins to produce in us. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It says in Galatians 5, for the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. So it's it's something that the flesh can't produce. Isn't that interesting? When you just think about it for a minute. So when we're talking about one of the positive emotions that we can experience, it's something that our flesh just can't produce. You can't just you can't just go be joyful. Come on, be joyful. It's Christmas. Just be joyful. It, 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 it's not going to happen. And what it does is the Holy Spirit, then, what the Holy Spirit begins to do is he begins to—he causes us to see the beauty of Christ. And this is really what Paul was getting at when he said, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. He knows that this is the one thing that the Spirit has been given to us to do to help us to bring joy into our life. He says, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you the Advocate. And the Advocate will help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. I mean, that's the application, really, is it not, of God, rest you merry gentlemen. I mean, what, what, come, what overcomes the dismay? It's knowing that Christ our Savior was born on this day that there is something there that is connecting. There's beauty in that. It shows us the beauty of Christ, both in the Word and in the world, because the Word is living and active. We, we know that from what Timothy told us in 2 Timothy, or, or Paul wrote to Timothy that, that it's living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. And so, you know, just recently, I know the, the emotions of anxiety and, and disappointment and discouragement were creeping in on Susan and I as we got discouraging news, you know, about her chronic pain. And it was that morning we were just like just wrestling with it just going okay you know what do we go from here you know what are we going to do and we're just kind of there with one another and then a text came in from Sarah our youngest who's in staff with crew down at UCA and she'd come across a verse that really encouraged her in in a little podcast on it uh, and it was, it was just this verse it was Psalm 126 5 and it says those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy Now, that's obviously, that's the contextually, that's talking about the exiles, as they were in really circumstances that were, can it get any worse than this? And they were, there was a promise to them that you will have shouts of joy. Even though now you're reaping in tears, you will have shouts of joy. Now, did that make the pain go away? No. Circumstances didn't necessarily improve. But what was happening in our souls is the Word of God. God. The Spirit of God was taking the Word of God and was creating joy in the child of God. And so the Word of God was becoming like oil. And it was encouraging. And it was overcoming the things that were coming against us. And so the anxiety that was coming in and the discouragement that was coming in was being overridden. By the Spirit of God. Did it end it? No. But it overrides it. And in the world, when we look, when we begin to see a baptism this morning, does it not bring joy to your heart? When you see a sunset, when you see a sunrise, when you see something where you're just like, Wow, that that's just from God. I was listening to a song the other day. Um, and I was just was like, Whoa, boy, that person is gifted. And I'm like, Whoa, Lord, glory to you, man. You've given him that gift. And it just, it's something both in the Word and in the world. It, just, it, it displays the beauty of Christ in a new way. And what it brings about in our hearts is it brings about and it conjures up deeper joy. So again, the definition, just as a reminder, joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. And we see it in the Christmas story in a rather hidden way. And I want you to take you to Luke chapter 2. Because in Luke chapter 2, we begin to see where they're un- uncovering this. And, and this part of the story, I think, really lives in obscurity. It, 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 we we kind of end with the birth, but it's the thing that happens afterwards. And so in Luke chapter 2, here's what it says. And when the time had come for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, meaning Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves and, and two young pigeons. Now, this is really just the setup. You know, Luke is setting us up here for something, and and what he's explaining to us here is there was a time of purification for a woman in that day when she had given birth to a male. She was considered unclean. For seven days, she'd stay home, and then for 33 days, she she couldn't go out beyond that, beyond her community, and it was a time of, of purification, if you will. And then she went to Jerusalem where she would offer a sacrifice in the temple. And depending upon how much money you had would be upon what kind of sacrifice you had. And so for this, because Mary and Joseph were poor, they had pigeons. That would be enough. And so they they sacrificed these pigeons. And it was also that they wanted to dedicate Jesus to the Lord, much like Hannah dedicated Samuel, firstborn, Lord, he's yours Now, you didn't typically have to bring the child, but Mary wanted to, uh, much like, I think, because she knew the gravity of this, and she knew where this was heading. Yet the purpose is is who they met when they came to the temple. And this is the one that we don't really get to hear a lot about. And it was two people that were there. Simeon, who they say was probably, his history says is probably about 113 years old, and you had Anna, who's in her 80s. Both of them had been in the temple Both of them have been waiting. Both of them, they were both prophets, both Simeon and Anna, and they both knew that something special was going to come, and they were waiting for it. We pick it up, and it says, "...it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, to Simeon, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law..." He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles for the glory of your people Israel. Simeon, at this point, at 113 years old, is experiencing some incredible joy. So much so, he says, you can take me now. Literally, I'm ready to go. You can take me because what greater joy has this than to understand the fulfillment of the prophecy and all that's going on. This is the first time when it's proclaimed that this would not only be for Jew, it would be for Gentile, which Paul would later unpack. Simeon is experiencing a really good feeling of the soul Produced by the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is all over this thing, that is really showing him the beauty of Christ, who is the Word made flesh. He's seeing him in a whole new light. Anna as well, experiences this joy and says, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Anna was experiencing a really good feeling in the soul. Produced by the Holy Spirit. And what it was reprodu- producing in her is that she couldn't keep quiet. She was telling everybody about it, proclaiming it boldly. So both of them had joy. And what's interesting, they had joy though, it was deep in the soul, even in spite of part of the prophetic word that they knew that was going to come. We continue on with this tension because Simeon declared that there would be peace and there would be hope and there would be joy. And you got to ask yourself, is something off here? Because I don't know about you today, but we look and you read the paper. It does not take much, does it, to see that there's—I mean there's division and there's all this going on around our world. And it just seems it's the exact opposite. It was just 33 years later when Mary would be watching her son being crucified. And so you think, what's off here? And I can't help but think that when Mary stood there watching Jesus being crucified and all the pain that had gone on, I can't help but think she remembered, and it was coming to fulfillment, everything that Simeon had said, because here's what he said in Luke 2.34. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, for a sign that is opposed And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. You know what this is saying? Jesus didn't come to make Jerusalem great again. He came to restore a brand new kingdom. A kingdom which would be opposed. A kingdom which would be opposed that many would follow, but many more would leave. So the joy, really, to be had in the Christmas season is when we know what it points to. It isn't that Jesus just came. It's that Jesus came to do something. Because Christmas is meaningless if you leave out Easter. If it's all just about someone who came, but if that someone who came didn't die and raised from the dead then we're still in our sins and, and and it's all just about Christmas and and really i mean in, in woven in the Christmas story are all these emotions of disappointment and stress and sadness and and yes even immense joy and and there's really two ways, I think, of thinking on this. and There's the old way, and there's a new way. And, and I think a lot of us maybe have been exposed to the old way, and that is, is we're just automatically exposed to the, the Christmas story and, and, and the joy of Christ coming, and, and that's great. But the new way, I think, is, is Christmas knowing what it's pointing to, that it's pointing to Easter, that it's pointing of why he came. And, and, and what he wanted to accomplish in his coming, the old way is a way of performance. It's 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 basically say the old way screams out, you know, I I want my best life now. I, I want it all now. I want complete health. I want. You know, everyone to be able to I, I want everything to go the way that I would desire it. I want every answered prayer according to my timing. I want, I want, I want, I want. That's the old way. And, and and for the old way, what happens is is when we when we go with that old way, we have to perform because we think that the only way that's gonna happen is if we perform well. Who's been naughty, who's been nice? We we adopt that into our Christianity, into our faith, and then we become to think that if I perform well, then God will be obligated to do what I've asked him to do in my timing, in my way, the way that I want it. And so the old way screams, I want it now, and I want it my way, and it's got to be done. And, and, you know, we may scream that as kids. As adults, we get a little bit more sophisticated, and we don't say that necessarily out loud because that wouldn't be religiously okay to do so, and it wouldn't be spiritually that good. So we, would, we just kind of mask it. But we walk in a way in which we think, if I perform that'll be. And if someone doesn't perform and something happens to them, we go, hmm, they must not have performed very well. That's the old way. The new way knows Easter and, and knows that we come broken. We all are. We all come broken. We all have our brokenness and i think one of the disappointing things is as we bring our brokenness to this season we bring our brokenness and then we expect things to be perfect and then we get disappointed because we're like well how come it's not perfect it's because it's broken and, and, and we wrestle with that. And that's the tension that I'm talking about. The, the tension of, of having joy, but yet having the brokenness and knowing that it's not about me setting up my best kingdom now, but it's about me believing and growing and cherishing Jesus even more. And that the best thing that he can do in my life is to conjure up more and more joy as I see the beauty of Christ Greater and greater and greater. And so hopefully, you know, than you were in your teenage years, you see the beauty of Christ. But hopefully as you grow and you get older, the beauty of Christ becomes even greater and greater and greater. Which is why as we get older, we're like, take me now. What could be better than to be with you? There was a time when I think I, I don't think I ever verbalized it, but I think I said it in my heart at least, where I'd be like, man, I I think I would rather have everything in my life go the way I want it and maybe not have Jesus. But now I would say, give me Jesus in suffering. I'll take that every day to a perfect life without him. Like that's even possible. But that's what we wrestle with, isn't it? We all do. And I think that's what puts so much pressure on us, particularly in this season, is because we all try to get it just right. We, all, we, we try to get it just perfect. And like, no, it's, it's a broken story of hope for broken people. So don't put the pressure on them to try to make it all perfect because you're broken. It's a season of brokenness. That points to the hope of when all things broken become redeemed. That's the hope. And I don't know about you, that takes the pressure off. Larry Crabb, psychologist, author, says this whatever we want most in life becomes the center of our lives. Like tribesmen dancing around a totem pole our movements are all oriented around the object of our longing. In other words, whatever it is, whether it's the old way or the new way, the old way, we dance like tribesmen around a totem pole trying to make it all perfect, trying to perform, trying to have the perfect family, trying to have the perfect faith that never feels discouragement, that never lacks hope. We, we try to create this thing. And, 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 and I think Satan comes in and goes, it's not perfect, it's not happy, it's, it should be different. You, you know, you're not much of a Christian. And, and we, we, we wrestle in that. The new way dances around a pole that says Jesus, that Jesus was on and rose from and says you don't have to have a perfect I've come to make you perfect it is me in you that will set you free and will take the pressure off so just take a big Holy Spirit out Christmas season in Holy Spirit out, all the pressure to make it perfect, all the pressure to have it just right. Okay, now let's do this one. In Holy Spirit, out, extended family. <laughs> They're all imperfect, right? We, we, we invite imperfect people into our imperfect home and we try to make it perfect. You know? It's just, we've, we've just gone awry somewhere, Right? Let's take it home. Let's take it home. Worship team, you can come on up. The question, I think, that comes this morning, obviously, are you trying to follow the old way or the new way? Or, and, and, and just very plainly, simply put, have you placed your faith in Jesus? Is, is, he, is he the savior and leader of your life? Or, or do, you, do you want him or are you trying to get him just to fit into your life? God rest you, Mary, comma, gentlemen and gentlewomen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we have gone astray, dancing around our other poles. O oh, tidings of comfort and joy. True comfort and true joy doesn't come from everything being made right everything going right. True comfort and true joy comes from knowing the one who makes it all right. Let's stand and sing. Last minute Christmas gifts. I got a watch that's going for cheap. So hey, if you would uh, if you want prayer regards to anything, I'd love to be praying for you. We'll have our elders and our wives up here and we would love to just pray if there's something pressing in on you. Uh, we have communion come to the Lord's table and and celebrate this morning Uh, I hope if you if you are here uh, around Christmas and you can make us part of your Christmas Eve celebration it is it is worth it uh, for the whole family to come in and to be celebrate together seven o'clock Saturday night Christmas Eve we'll be here gonna have a great service Uh, no services on Sunday you know what to do go love first we love because you first loved us have a Merry Christmas